Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad-free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Well, greetings, my friends, patriots, lovers of democracy, truth and justice, believers in peace, freedom, and the American way. Tom Hartman here with you. Now that Liz Cheney is canceled and Christopher Miller, the guy who wrote the memo saying that the National Guard may not help or arm or, you know, there was a half a dozen different specific things that he said the National Guard could not do, could not assist the uh, D.C. police. The guy who was the author of that memo, he was the acting Secretary of Defense. He was put into place after Trump lost the election, has basically testified that the reason that he refused to have the National Guard there, when the National Guard had been there when, for example, weeks earlier, Black Lives Matter was holding a protest in D.C., Oh my God, we need the National Guard, it's black people. But when it was Trump toady insurrectionists, the response was, uh, well, you know, we don't want them to think that there's a military coup underway as they're trying to do their own coup. I mean, seriously, think about that for a minute. He has gone full Trumpy. It's like what's happening in the Republican Party right now and among people who are on the periphery of it is many of them believe that their fate and future depends on basically sucking up to Donald Trump. Donald Trump is an authoritarian. Authoritarians are absolutely brutal. Louise was commenting to me this morning that when we lived in Germany and and she read The Rise and Fall of the Third Reich by William Schurer, and I, you know, I confess I've not read every word in that book. She did, and carefully and slowly read through the whole thing, you know, as we were living on the soil where it happened. And she said the thing that really impressed me was the absolute brutality and unstoppability of the Nazis as they were coming to power, as they seized power, as they held power, you know, Hitler showing up enthusiastically for the hangings of his enemies, the brutality of the brown shirts, the willingness to just absolutely and utterly destroy people, and the unwillingness to compromise, the unwillingness to have a conversation, the unwillingness to negotiate, the unwillingness to do anything other than, hey, it's my way or the highway. These guys are like the ultimate bullies. So where is this going? Where do you think this is going with the Republican Party? You've got now about 100 Republicans who just signed a letter about, you know, most of them aren't even in office saying, you know, if you guys don't stop worshiping Trump, essentially, we're going to start our own party. You've got Liz Cheney, for God's sake, the daughter of, you know, a war criminal, Dick Cheney, who was put into office by the Supreme Court, not the voters. And, And she's coming out and saying something that's actually, I think, quite noble. And I realize there are people who are saying, well, you know, she's doing this because she wants to run for president in 2024. She's doing this because she thinks that when the Trump 
passion is purged from the GOP. She'll be the, the most prominent figure to stand out, and that'll be a big boost for her politically and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is that there's a very good chance she's going to lose her seat next year. I mean, if the Trump fever continues until November of 2022, she's up for re-election. She already has a primary challenger who's a Trumpy in Wyoming. These guys only give up when they are totally defeated. And the Democrats, and frankly, in my mind, the remaining, shall we say, good GOP, I disagree with them on policy. I disagree with them on taxes. I disagree with them on giant corporations. You know, I disagree with, with Liz Cheney and her friends on just about everything. But how do you think this thing is going to play out? My, th- my take on this is that the only thing that breaks the Trump fever is the loss of Trump. He will not capitulate. He's not, I mean, by loss of Trump, it would either be that he comes out and he says, you know, I've looked at things and I actually lost that election. So just move on, guys. You don't need me anymore. You know, it's sort of the way Jimmy Carter bowed out after 1980. Okay, I lost the election. I'm going to go back to the peanut farm. But Trump's not going to do that. He's an authoritarian. He's essentially, at his core, a Nazi. And authoritarians don't back down. Authoritarians push and push and push until they're utterly defeated. Which means one of two things. Either this fever that the Republican Party has is not going to break until Donald Trump, as I said, number one, repudiates his own positions, which ain't going to happen in my opinion. Number two, you know, has the ultimate and fatal cheeseburger and, you know, something, you know, God forbid, physically happens to him. I'm not wishing ill on anybody, including the former president. But, you know, he's in his 70s. It's possible. Although I'm increasingly I'm thinking 70s, not that old. (laughs) Or number three, and I think this is the key, is that the Democrats in one voice basically stand up with some of the Republicans who have been speaking out and absolutely assertively repudiate this. And I I was not encouraged by some of the hearings where, again, I was seeing Democrats, I was seeing Republicans doing theater and Democrats trying to do, you know, detail. And theater always wins in American politics. But this is what Liz Cheney said. She said, our freedom only survives if we protect it, if we honor our oath taken before God in this chamber and to support and defend the Constitution, if we recognize threats to freedom when they arise. Today we face a threat America has never seen before. A former president who provoked a violent attack on this Capitol in an effort to steal the election has resumed his aggressive effort to convince Americans that the election was stolen from him. He risks inciting further, further violence. Millions of Americans have been misled by by the former president. They have only heard his words, not the truth. But he continues to undermine our democratic process, sowing seeds of doubt about whether democracy really works at all. I am a conservative Republican, and the most conservative of conservative principles is reverence for the rule of law, says Liz Cheney. The Electoral College has voted. More than 60 states and federal courts, including multiple judges the former president appointed, have rejected his claims. The Trump DOJ investigated the former president's claims and found no evidence to support them. The election is over. That is the rule of law. That is our constitutional process. Our duty is clear. We must act to prevent the unraveling of our democracy. And then she goes on to say, this is not about policy or partisanship. It's about our duty as Americans. We cannot remain silent. What's going to happen to Liz Cheney? What's going to happen to the Republican Party? This is the Tom Hartman Program. And I think most importantly, what's going to happen to America as a consequence of this? You know, I wrote a book about this, The the Hidden History of American Oligarchy. It's a very dark possibility. Or it could be a renewal of America. I mean, you know, that's a very real possibility, too. 
Alfredo in Mountain View, California. Hey, Alfredo, thanks for watching us on uh, Free Speech TV. What's on your mind today? Yeah, hi, Tom. How are you? Good. Yeah, I just wanted to say that, you know, the Republican Party, they need to change their name to the Nazi Party because that's what they are. They're Nazis. They are boycotting, sabotaging people of color and minorities to be able to vote. And the other thing is, this guy, Mitch McConnell, he's the one manipulating all the Republican senators to do the bidding for Donald Trump. This guy has to go. This, no, nobody pays attention to this, but Mitch McConnell, he's the one that's doing all the damage in there. And I'll take my answer off, off the air. Thank yeah. you for everything. Yeah. First of all, I think rather than the Republicans calling themselves Nazis, because, you know, I mean, obviously that's not going to fly and they're not going to do that. Probably it might be better for them to start calling themselves Confederates. Because that's something, that's a label that I think many of them would actually proudly claim. That they are now the Confederate Party. And that we are now the Confederate States of America. We're no longer the United States of America. And the Confederate Party, of course, believes in, well, believes in slavery. I mean, the modern day version of that would be, you know, no minimum wage and bring back racial segregation, you know, among other kind of pseudo-Nazi policies. With regard to Mitch McConnell, Alfredo, I'm, I'm not convinced that the power behind this is coming from anywhere other than Donald Trump. I realize there are a lot of people who think that Trump has been marginalized, that he's kind of gone back to Mar-a-Lago, that he's just sitting there being quiet and all this kind of stuff, you know, and makes, makes some money in the real estate business, uh, you know, whatever. And that he's very, very busy dealing with dozens of lawsuits against him, ranging from women who he is alleged to have raped to investors and other people who he is alleged to have ripped off to a whole bunch of government agencies that are accusing him of crimes. But I really believe that that's where the power for this thing is coming from. I think it's coming out of, you know, basically two sources. Number one, Donald Trump. And number two, you've got a couple of foreign governments and their bots and trolls who are doing everything they can to stir up people in the United States against each other. And one of the most effective ways to do that is to promote this theory that Donald Trump had the election stolen from him by the evil Democrats and, or the evil Republicans, for that matter. And that you can't trust American democracy and you can't trust our elections. And the electoral system was rigged. And, and I mean, you know, this is something Trump has been saying since 2015. Remember in the primaries? He lost one of the primaries. I think it was New Hampshire. And he was like, oh, yeah, it was rigged. I mean, every time he loses, he just says the election was rigged. When he wins, hey, it's good. Nothing rigged. Isn't this enough for people to figure out what's going on? Is there something I'm missing here? It seems to me pretty clear it's in the GOP. It's pro or con Trump. Tom Harvin here with you. Uh, over 100 Republicans, including former Republican officials, threatened to split from the GOP. Miles Taylor, the guy who was inside the uh, Trump administration, remember Anonymous published that thing back in 2017, I believe it was, saying, don't worry, there are some of us here working to thwart Trump's fascist agenda. We'll take care of him. And it turned out it was a guy named Miles Taylor and they turned it into a book. Oh, it was 2018 that he wrote the op-ed. And he said, and the letter says, this is us saying that a group of more than 100 prominent Republicans think that the situation has gotten so dire with the Republican Party that it is now time to seriously consider whether an alternative might be the only option. These are people who were once governors, who were members of Congress, who were ambassadors, who were cabinet secretaries, who were state legislators, who were Republican Party chair people. He has not named the signers. Reuters has reported that uh, Tom Ridge of Pennsylvania, Christine Todd Whitman of New Jersey. Uh, we'll see. We'll see how this shakes out. But this is what's going on. The survival, I think, of... The Republican Party, I mean, you know, just for example, this is how bizarre it gets, right? 
a Trump-loving Republican is trying to push through a bill, I'm not making this up, is trying to push through a bill that fact-checkers can be fined $1,000, basically if Republicans don't like what they say. I mean, that's how insane this is. And then we've got this group of military retired generals and admirals, 124 of them. They just released a letter saying that Joe Biden stole the election. I mean, what's happening is that, you know, billionaire Murdoch family, Fox News, and the other right-wing media that are continuing to promulgate this lie that Donald Trump won the election to justify overturning state laws about how elections are conducted so that in the future, Republicans can, you know, install their own toadies and bring in their own election monitors, thugs, goons, to intimidate people. That the media organizations that are promulgating these massive lies have succeeded in convincing 124 retired generals and admirals and this, you know, runs the, I mean, this is called, this is from a group called Flag Officers for America. And they are total Trumpies. And they're selling this lie that the presidential vote was rigged in Biden's favor. And that we are, quote, in deep peril from a full-blown assault on our constitutional rights. Under a Democrat Congress and a current administration, they say our country has taken a hard left turn towards socialism and a Marxist form of tyrannical government, which must be countered now by electing congressional and presidential candidates who will always act to defend our constitutional republic. In other words, Trumpies. So the GOP is like splitting itself right now into pro-Trump and you know, pro-democracy, I guess pro-American factions, and it looks like the pro-Trump faction is winning out. Now, I think that you're going to see the pro-Trump faction also you know, win a whole bunch of primaries next year as we move into the primary season. It'll be the last couple months of this year and the first three, four months of next year, depending on the state and the region and all those kind of things. And as the Trumpies start winning these primaries... It's going to seem like, oh yeah, Trump is really, you know, ascendant and isn't that wonderful and Trump, you know, blah de blah from the Republican, you know, from the Trumpy Republican point of view, the fascist Republican point of view. My prediction is, though, that those hyper-Trumpies are going to lose to Democrats, particularly when the Democrats are progressive Democrats and they can activate the Democratic base, which is broadly progressive. And I think the 2022 election is going to be a wipeout on behalf of the Democrats. And that's going to take some steam out of the GOP sales. Or it's going to provoke them to even greater violence. And if you go back and read, you know, Shearer's Rise and Fall of the Third Reich, what you get is that it's absolutely going to provoke them to greater violence. That they are going to do everything they can to tear this country apart to reestablish an oligarchy, to reestablish racial segregation, to reestablish the Confederacy. I mean, the lost cause has never died. Or am I missing something here? Give me a call, let's talk about this. And if you're on hold, hang on, we will get to your calls. Quick math, the less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessible from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. 
Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Just head over to netsuite.com slash Hartman with two N's. netsuite.com slash Hartman. That's netsuite.com slash Hartman. Professional welder Shayna Ford used VR training developed by ForgeFX to hone her skills as a welder. The more time that you spend practicing it, that's what separates a good welder from a great welder. VR training can help students like Shayna repeatedly practice specific skills. Virtual reality definitely helps because the more muscle memory that you have, the smoother your weld is. Explore more stories like Shayna's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. My op-ed, uh, the Democrats' killer app against voter suppression is unveiled. And there's a couple of really important points about this that I want to make. The first is these voter suppression laws that the Republicans are passing in the states, they're being spoken of as if this is something new. As if all of a sudden the Republicans have decided that they're going to start suppressing the vote as a way of winning elections. Like this is some new strategy of theirs. This is a Republican strategy that goes back to 1980. It goes back to Paul Weyrich and that clip I used to play all the time on the show and I'll be able to next week when we're back in the studio where Paul Weyrich said, you know, uh, he was talking about good government Republicans, goo-goo Republicans, and he said, they want everybody to vote. I don't want everybody to vote. Elections are not decided by the majority of the people and never have been and they never will be. In fact, quite candidly, our leverage in the election goes up as the voting populace goes down. I just did that from memory, but I'm pretty sure it's word for word. And that was in 1980 that Paul Weyrich gave that speech to a group of Republicans in a church basement uh, in, in Dallas, Texas. Paul Weyrich, one of the co-founders of the Heritage Foundation. Paul Weyrich, one of the leading folks in the Reagan for President campaign in 1980, saying, we don't want people to vote. So this is nothing new. This has been the Republican strategy for 40 years. It's what put them in power. It what, it's what has kept them in power. What they're doing now with all these laws, and here's how extensive, by the way, the laws are. This is from the Brennan Center for Justice, and this is actually uh, about three weeks, four weeks old, these statistics. So it's even worse than what I'm quoting to you. I just don't have the most, I, mean, I, you know, I spent quite a bit of time yesterday looking for the most recent statistics, and they're just all over the map. But this is from Brennan solid, okay? This is, I can, I can stand behind this. As of March 24th, legislators had introduced 361 bills restricting voting in 47 states. That's a 43% increase in such legislation over the previous month of February. That's just in March. They, they add, and this, now I'm quoting verbatim from, Brennan, from the Brennan Center, quote, these measures have begun to be enacted. Five restrictive bills have already been signed into law. In addition, at least 55 restrictive bills in 24 states are moving through legislatures. 29 have passed at least one chamber, while another 26 have had some sort of committee action, like a hearing, an amendment, or even a committee vote. So this is the GOP strategy. And I mean, you can see this writ large in states like Michigan or Wisconsin or Pennsylvania, where the majority of people in the state are voting for Democrats. And therefore, your state, which is obvious because the statewide offices, be they, uh, be they uh, uh, the Republicans, uh, excuse me, be they the governor, the secretary of state, you know, whatever those statewide offices may be, the statewide offices are going Democratic. Because the majority of the voters who showed up voted for Democrats. But the Michigan legislature, the Michigan House and Senate are still controlled by Republicans, even though the majority of the voters voted Democratic. The Wisconsin House and Senate are still controlled by Republicans. In Pennsylvania, they're still controlled by Republicans. Their congressional delegations, the, 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 the members that they're sending to the House of Representatives, are still Republicans. Now, they are picking up some Democrats in the Senate because these are statewide elections. 
But this killer app that the Democrats are promoting is H.R. 1 or SB 1, House Resolution 1, Senate Bill 1, in other words, the first piece of legislation introduced to both chambers, which is called the For the People Act, that the Brennan Center looked at 15 different techniques that the Republicans already have in law or are trying to put into law to make it more difficult for Democratic constituencies to vote or for people just generally to vote or to allow billionaires to buy elections. They looked at 15 of these strategies that the Republicans are using. And the conclusion that they came to was that the For the People Act, H.R. 1, the killer app that the Democrats are proposing, that Ted Cruz this morning called Jim Crow 2.0. Talk about trying to flip a meme, right? That out of these 15 strategies that the Republicans are using, 14 of them would be nullified by this legislation. The only thing that would still be legal for Republicans to do in individual states is limit who can get an absentee ballot and who can't. And even that would be slightly, you know, their ability to do that would be circumscribed. But in every other case, this killer app is actually going to kill these laws. All these laws. These voter suppression laws and bring democracy back to the United States. But the really evil stuff that we need to know about that is not being covered anywhere close to the way it should be covered in the media. I, I keep seeing people, uh, you know, Jelani Cobb, and there's a, there's a few other commentators on, on MSNBC who keeps bringing this up, God bless them, is that the worst part of these Republican laws is not that you can't bring pizza or a bottle of water to somebody in line. It's that the people who will decide which votes are counted and which votes are thrown out will no longer be election professionals who are throwing out votes because somebody totally screwed up a ballot or they're not actually eligible to vote. The people deciding who gets to throw out which ballots will be Republican political party hacks. And the group that will certify the election will no longer be the Secretary of State or the officials who are, you know, either elected or, or have been doing this job for a long time and have, have laws and things that control their behavior. Instead, the person, you know, the, the group deciding whether or not, you know, this election is valid, is going to certify the election, is now going to be the state legislature. Which in the case of these states, even though the majority of the people in Wisconsin are voting for Democrats and therefore they have a Democratic governor, the majority of people in Michigan are voting for Democrats, therefore they have a Democratic governor, the majority of the people in Pennsylvania are voting for Democrats, but still the Republican-controlled legislatures will decide who the state actually voted for. That's the really evil stuff. Those are two of the 15 voter suppression techniques that H.R. 1 will blow up. Now, the only thing in the path of H.R. 1, of the For the People Act, the main thing in the path of it, the main thing preventing it from being passed, is the filibuster. And the main guy standing in the way of the filibuster is Joe Manchin. Now, if you don't live in West Virginia, probably anything you say to Joe Manchin is going to be irrelevant, unless you're a big donor to his campaign. But you can lobby the White House at whitehouse.gov contact. There's a hot link in my piece over at harbingreport.com. And you can call Senator Schumer's office. And you should call both Senator Schumer's office and your two members of the Senate, even if they're Republicans. And let them know that you support H.R. 1. You support the For the People Act. And that phone number for every single senator, you can reach any of them, is 202-224-3121. 202-224-3121. We'll continue our conversations about, uh, you know, voting and all this other stuff. This is the Tom Hartman Program. Ken, in 
Westminster, Maryland. Hey, Ken, what's on your mind? It says here you disagree hey, with me. Hi, Why? How you doing? What's up? I want to ask a question. Where are the fold marks on the mail-in ballots or the pencil marks on mail-in ballots? I don't understand your question, Ken. What's the point you're trying to make? What don't you... That's why a forensic uh, investigation should be taking place. Where are the f- fold? I got videotapes. Where are the f- Can you realize that the Republican Secretary of State in Georgia, supervising the hey, Republican infrastructure in Georgia, did three recounts? They looked at those ballots physically. Answer we my saw question. it on television three Answer times. My question. I don't. Get, what's your question, Ken? Where are the fold marks on the mail-in v- ballots? Where are, Where the, are the what marks? indentations on the mail-in ballots. Answer that. What are you guys afraid of? Arizona, Georgia. Ken, you're sounding incoherent. Are you, are you well, saying why that? Why is that? Because are you trying you to apply? Is this is this part of this grand conspiracy theory that these mail-in ballots were actually printed in China and therefore it doesn't look like a human hand actually no, it colored them in? It's it's called a forensic investigation. No, what it's not. It's called BS. Of? What are you guys? It's called of? It's, it's it's called BS. If Here's what I'm scared of, Ken. Let me answer your question. Just hold on for just a second and let me answer your question. Here's what I'm scared of. What I'm scared of is when a bunch of Republicans take two million ballots from the from the one county in Arizona that has the largest black and Hispanic population. They let me finish. They put they they hand those ballots off to a company that has never before handled ballots in their in that company's lives. A company that is run by a guy who has made crazy and absolutely definably wrong assertions, and then that company starts looking for bamboo, thinking that forty thousand things got flown in from China. This is. Bat guano crazy, Ken. This is crazy BS. In the ballots. On the ballots. No, that's not what. That's of course. Ken, Ken, you are. Ken, I got to tell you, I'm. I'm really sorry to tell you, but you are being lied to, Ken. These people are playing you for a fool. I got video. Ken, listen to me. Ken, they are playing you for a fool. It's tragic, but they are they are laughing all the way to the bank with the lobbyist money they're making because they can get people like you to vote for them. Ken, you are it, it, it's so sad. Thank you for the call. You're listening to Tom Hartman. The Republican conspiracy theories, just so you know what you're dealing with when, you know, crazy Uncle Ralph calls up or you see him at a now that family events are starting to happen again, you know, now that we're people are getting vaccinated and stuff, you know, or the guy behind you in line at the store or whatever. Here's a, a summary, basically, the Republican conspiracy theories and why they're there. First of all, the Republican candidate for president, the previous guy lost the last election by roughly 7 million votes. And he lost the Electoral College by the exact same margin that Hillary Clinton lost to him back in 2016. That was about 40,000 votes, more or less, in a half a dozen states that gave the election to Joe Biden in the Electoral College. Now, the Republicans for 40 years, and this is the essence of the piece that I published over at Hartman Report, the Republicans for about 40 years have been working toward minority rule. Part of this is cooked in, built into the cake, right? The United States Senate, the Republicans in the U.S. Senate are, you've got 50 Republicans and 50 Democrats, or people who caucus with Those 50 Republicans represent 41 million fewer Americans than do the 50 people who caucus with the Democrats. And I say people who caucus with because Angus King and Bernie Sanders are technically independents. You could call them Democrats. 
And the reason for that is that the Republican Party, the GOP, looked at this back 40 years ago and said, hey, you know, there's a bunch of small, low population states where it's really cheap to campaign. Let's take them over. And this aggressive, you know, the Midwestern states all used to be blue states. The Western states, you know, many of them, if not most of them, used to be blue states. But the Republican Party, hey, it's real cheap to flip votes in Wyoming or, or in Missouri or in, you know, even in some of the more populous states. So let's do that. And so they built an infrastructure to do that. And so that's how they got the Senate. And then they gerrymandered like crazy. So you've got state after state after state where the majority of people in the state, in Pennsylvania, in Michigan, Wisconsin, etc., where the majority of the people in the state vote for Democrats, and yet nonetheless you get a Republican legislature and a Republican congressional delegation, even though the governor, all your statewide offices are going to Democrats. And this is what's happening in Georgia right now. So bottom line, Republicans don't like this. So they want to rig elections. Up to this point, their plan had not been so much to rig elections as to kind of rig the system around elections. Right? Brian Kemp throwing 100,000 people, actually it was closer to 300,000 people, off the voting rolls just before he runs against Stacey Abrams, knowing that the majority of people he's throwing off the voting rolls are in black neighborhoods. So they're rigging an existing system. But that wasn't enough in 2020. Didn't work. So now they want to change the system itself. So that they get to decide which ballots to count and which ballots not to count. And the conspiracy theories, as presented by the last caller, for those of you who don't know what the hell he was talking about, after, after we were all done, Sean was like, you know, what the hell was that guy talking about? I, you know, I, let me explain. You've got conspiracy folks, Republicans, coming out and saying, Well, you know, if somebody gets a mail-in ballot and they fill it out correctly, they're going to use a pen to fill in that little circle, and you're going to see a dent on the other side of the paper where that pen pushed on the paper. Unless it's a fountain pen, and most people don't use fountain pens. They use ballpoint pens, or they use pencils. So there should be a dent on the other side of the paper. Which is true. Makes perfect sense. But then they go the second step and they go, where are the dents? Well, they're right there. These ballots have been looked at over and over and over again by Republicans. You had, you had three separate recounts in Georgia. You had recounts in Michigan. You had recounts in Wisconsin. We've had recounts all over the country. And yes, there's dents in the paper. But the guys who are lying to people like our last caller on right-wing media who do not want elections to actually be run like real elections. They want our election system to be like Turkey's or Russia's or something like that. Those guys don't, they want to destroy their confidence in our electoral system so they can replace it with essentially fascism. So they're saying, well, we're not finding the dents. Well, show that to me. Well, here's a video of not showing the dents. I mean, you know, it's, and of course you can make a video that shows anything. Number one. Number two, the folds. He he was like, where are the folds? If I get a mail-in ballot, the theory is that it's a flat piece of paper. And when I'm all done, I'm going to fold it up by hand and mail it back in. And the folds are not going to be perfectly creased like they would be if they were folded by a machine. And that's another theory that's being sold to these poor, low-information Republican voters. That what's coming back, all these mail-in ballots that are coming back, they're all folded exactly the same way. So they must have been printed on machines in China, because there's no dents, and they must have been folded by machines in China, and then shipped over here in giant cases, and you know, along with a lot of bamboo, and put in, in Arizona. Well, I can tell you, having lived in... Oregon now for the better part of 20 years. And for 20 years, Oregon has had nothing but mail-in voting. We've been an all-mail-in voting state for more than two decades. And when I get a ballot in the mail, 
It comes in a standard, you know, size envelope. I think they're called number 10 envelopes. These are actually a little larger, slightly larger, maybe number 11. But it's a, it's a regular envelope, which means that the ballot has already been folded. I don't have to refold it. It was folded before it was mailed to me. And that's why all the folds look identical. Now, I realize, you know, this probably never even occurred to you, but I guarantee you there's somebody in your life who believes this BS. And then there's the stuff that Rand Paul was trying to sell on television when he was interviewing Fauci. That somehow we helped fund the development of this virus and Anthony Fauci was at the center of it and we need to gut the CDC. And this has to do with what they're trying to do is, you know, on the one hand, the example I just gave you is they're trying to cause Republican voters no longer to believe in democracy or our voting systems. They're also trying to cause Republican voters not to believe in the vaccine not to trust the vaccine, so that they won't get vaccinated, so they will continue to get sick, and a small portion of them will continue to die, and that will prevent Joe Biden from fully opening the economy, and that, and as long as the economy is crippled, that will give the Republicans a chance, because when the economy does poorly in an election, the party in power loses. That's what this is all about, and those are their conspiracy theories, just so you know. Tom Hartman here with you. Stacey Abrams, this is absolutely extraordinary. This is a woman who really understands history, politics, culture, I mean, it has a deep understanding of these things. I am continuously impressed by Stacey Abrams. She was uh, interviewed by CBS News over the weekend, and she was asked, do you want to serve as president of the United States one day? Now, just think about that you know, question. I mean, for a person in politics, or for a person who ran for governor of the state of Georgia and is almost certainly going to be running for the state of, you know, as governor for the state of Georgia again next year, so they asked her, you know, is running for president part of your ambition? And she said, do I hold it as an ambition? Absolutely. And even more importantly, she said, and this is where you get this sense of history that this woman, you know, she is part of. She has made history, right? She turned Georgia blue and she totally gets it. She goes, and even more importantly, when someone asks me if that's my ambition, I have a responsibility to say yes for every young woman, for every person of color, for every young person of color who sees me and decides that what they're capable of based on what I think I am capable of. Again, it's about you cannot have these things you refuse to dream of. I thought that was just extraordinary. Also, uh, the crazy guy, the CEO of the private company that's doing the so-called recount of the vote, in Arizona, where they're looking for bamboo fibers and all of the ballots to see if any of them were shipped in from China at the last minute, you know, pre-filled in for Biden. Honest to God, that crazy guy, that conspiracy nut that the Georgia Senate hired and that they're doing private fundraising to pay for, by the way, that guy has now asked for the passwords into the sheriff's office in Maricopa County. They're auditing Maricopa County, the largest county in the state. It's Phoenix, basically. It's got the largest percentage and the largest population of people of color. And so now this crazy conspiracy nut who runs this company, Cyber Ninjas, has asked for the passwords. And the sheriff is like, no, what are you, are you guys nuts? I think the answer to that is, yeah. (laughs) Really, are you guys nuts? Anyway, let's pick up your phone calls here. Bill in St. Helens, Oregon. Hey, Bill, what's up? Hey, Tom. I think we all know that the Republicans have declared a war on truth, and uh, I'm a a contemporary for another two weeks. If this war continues, I literally have zero doubt in my 70 years that if this continues unchallenged and unabated, we are talking about the end of democracy in America. I see it coming. It makes me sick. Yep. So... Here's my deal. I don't understand why we're not literally dragging lie detectors and technicians into the Congress and into these state houses and saying, I'd like you to sit in this chair and I'm going to ask you your policies back to you. Oh, real quick aside, 
Um, so I asked the psychologist as a professional, I said, as a professional, I said, do you believe that these Republicans are knowingly, willingly, consciously lying through their teeth? And she said, there's no doubt. They know they're lying. They're willfully lying. Of course. We have to attack the lies, and I just keep trying to rack my brain how to do it. They won't take the, the test, but I'm going to call my senators, Merkley and Wyden, saying, drag one in onto the Senate floor and say, Mitch, sit down, and uh, let's ask you some questions on lie detection, because you'll lie under oath. Yeah. It's just well, I, you know, ultimately, do. Bill, the solution to this is going to be at the ballot box. And we've got a big election coming up. There are elections in some states this November, you know, like Virginia. But most states, it's going to be next year, and we need to be getting ready for them. But, Bill, I totally get what you're saying. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be great? You're listening to Tom Hartman. Visit TomHartman.com for audio and video archives. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. It's the Tom Harbin University Book Club. Today we're reading from Minority Leader, How to Lead from the Outside and Make Real Change by Stacey Abrams. This is from Chapter One. I sit in the living room, a cozy space, warm in the early summer. I'm perched on the edge of a sofa next to Valerie, the home's owner, a lovely black woman in her late 40s. Across from us, seated close together on a wide settee met for one, are her two children, a son and a daughter. Politicians rarely visit their streets, which are nestled in a poorer community in South Georgia. Valerie beams with pride that both her children are headed to college in the fall. David, 17, plans to study criminology. Maya, 18, her belly round with her first child, intends to become a middle school teacher. Both newly graduated from high school, Maya will give birth in mere weeks and begin college months later, an unwed teen mother. Her intended school is more than three hours north of her home, so her mother will raise her newborn baby while she starts her freshman year. Valerie speaks matter-of-factly about the coming challenge, raising a new child just as hers leave the nest. Still, she is determined that both her children pursue college degrees that she never received. Maya, the mother-to-be, wonders how she'll do so far away from home and her baby. Yet in the next breath, she explains how college will be the best for her and her child. Their future success rests upon her. I've come to their home as part of my campaign for governor, so I asked Valerie what she expects of someone like me. What can I do to help make lives like hers better? In her soft voice, she replies, she just wants options for financial aid for her children. They will succeed, she says, if they can afford to stay in school. As I look around the modest home passed down through the generations, I understand both the pride and the desperation tangled in her response. She got them through and has given them the tools to carve out better lives for themselves. We chat more about the worries she's lived with all those years, our discussion turning to the crime and poverty in their neighborhood. Then I ask Valerie what she wants. At first, all I get in response is a quizzical look. That suggests I need to reconsider my bid for higher office. I repeat, what do you want for you? What secret dream do you have for yourself? Her confused expression turns to one of surprise. I don't know, she tells me. I've been a cashier at the Piggly Wiggly for 20 years. You must want something, I probe, something you'd like to do for you. A daycare, she admits quietly. I'd like to start a daycare center for unwed mothers like my daughter so more girls can finish school and pursue their dreams. But that ambition is beyond her. Her body language, her tone of voice, her averted gaze speak louder than her words. I press her, but she demurs with a smile. Let's just see what happens if you win the governor's job, she says. Valerie's house in South Georgia is not too different from the squat red brick house where I grew up on South Street in Gulfport, Mississippi. An oak tree grew in our front yard, shadowing the front sidewalk, forbidding grass to grow beneath its shade. Pink azaleas bloomed each spring from bushes that flanked the front door. 
Our rented house and the other set close by teemed with children, all black, all working class. We played in our postage-stamped yards, make-believing the fantastical. Superhero exploits, cops and robbers. As we got older, we'd talk about moving to New Orleans or living in one of the mansions along the beachfront that lay less than five miles away, across the railroad tracks that ran in between our neighborhood and the more wealthy environs. We dreamed of more, while our parents' lives centered around survival and making it from paycheck to paycheck. Instinctively, we understood that more had to be possible, even if we didn't know what to do to get there. These imaginings, these desires, are the roots of ambition. As adults, like Valerie, we tend to edit our desires until they fit our construction of who we're supposed to become. In such a world, I wouldn't dare dream of running for higher office, for mayor, governor, or president. At least for now, Valerie sees herself retiring in 20 more years from Piggly Wiggly as a cashier, rather than as a small business owner who helps the community raise its children. From our brief meeting, I could see she had the fire, albeit of a low burn, of a minority leader. She had ambition, she had vision, but she didn't have the faith, and understandably so. Whether we come from working class neighborhoods or grow up comfortably middle class, minorities rarely come of age explicitly thinking about what we want and how to get it. People already in power almost never have to think about whether they belong in the room, much less if they would be listened to once outside. These men, and they are usually men and typically white, do not have to grapple with low expectations based on gender or race or class. Ambition for them begins with the reminiscences of old times and older friendships or newer alliances. The ends have already been decided. Only the means are to be discussed. Most potential minority leaders feel the same lack of faith Valerie had, at least at some point in their evolution. We may not know how to get the first job, let alone make it to the big chair. We don't know how to take the leap from accepting our fates to actually changing them, and not just a little, but radically. Then there are those who simply don't know what they want. The drive to achieve burns inside, often without a clear target. We want to be something, but what that is remains hazy. Often we cannot articulate our goals because they lie just beyond the reach of who we're supposed to be. Ambition's scale is irrelevant. What holds us back is not scope, it's fear. And because we don't know what to call our dreams, don't know how to make them happen, or are pretty sure we'll be disappointed, we just stand still. But becoming a minority leader demands that we embrace ambition as our due. Stacey Abrams. And welcome back. Tom Harmon here with you and uh, Carl and Playa del Rey. Hey, Carl, what's on your mind today? Hey, Tom. I just want to know um, the voter registration thing in uh, Georgia and Florida is going on. How are they getting away with that? Because um, the, the water at the lines seems to be a little uh, extreme. And I've read that it's only it's a third party they're restricting. And I was, you know, understanding that uh, it's because they don't want the influence of outsiders trying to sway people in the lines uh, with their votes. So it's only restricted to third parties. Is that true? No. What they're saying, essentially, and you've got the essence of it, Carl, what the Republicans are saying is that they believe that Democrats are sneaking up to people in line and saying, here, have a slice of pizza, vote for Joe Biden. Here, have a bottle of water. Be sure to vote for Joe Biden. You know, which A, doesn't happen. But B, that's, you know, their argument. That's what they're saying. But really, you know, I think one of the main reasons that they're trying to do this is because they know that it will get a lot of media attention. They want people to be paying attention to not being able to get a slice of pizza or a glass of water or, you know, or a drink in line. They are saying, by the way, election officials, like once you get inside the building, you can use the fountain, the drinking fountain. Uh, (laughs) But the reason that they want us talking about this relatively inconsequential thing is because other parts of the law say that, let's say that you do get in there and you're thirsty as hell, but still you voted. The people who will decide whether to count your vote or not the people who will decide you know, whether, whether to count the vote from your entire precinct or not will no longer be the professional vote counters who have been doing it for you know, decades, if not a century, including state employees. Instead, the people who decide which votes get counted are going to be Republican Party members. 
They're going to be Republican hacks. They are preparing for the theft of the 2024 election at the level of the White House. This is absolutely what they're doing. And we're going to see a, a test run of it in 2022. This is a long game they are playing. And so they don't mind at all if we're all bent out of shape about pizza and bottles of water. In fact, they want that because they don't want a discussion about what they're really doing, which is saying that they get to decide whose votes count and whose votes don't get counted. Yeah, well, that was my second statement also, because a lot of Democrat outlets and different things, they focus on that part of it. They focus on the water and the lines and stuff when that's not important. It's more important what you just talked about. And I just heard that. I wonder why more people aren't talking about that. So why waste their time on, on feeding that other narrative? They shouldn't be talking about that at all. They should be talking about the important stuff. So I feel like I'm they're complicit. You. They're complicit. Well, I'm not sure it's a matter of complicity as much as it is just, you know, laziness or busy or, hey, we've got to put together a news show. You know, what's the low hanging fruit? What's the stuff that's going to outrage people? You know, sadly, this is the state of news these days, Carl, is it's not the substance that counts. It's the flash. It's the sizzle. It's like, what's going to get the headline? Oh, my God, you can't have a drink of water in line. That's something everybody can understand. Right. That's the, that's the you know, what's the old saying, you know, uh, don't Dog bites man is not news, but man bites dog is news. That's the man yeah. bites dog. You know, that, that's, the, that's the thing you didn't expect. That's the shocking new thing. When in fact, as you point out, and as I keep trying to point out, the really important thing is that they're taking away from a trusted, transparent election infrastructure. They're taking that away and replacing it with partisan hacks who will decide which votes get counted and which ones don't. And that's that's just so sad. Carl, I got to run, but thank you for the call. Thank you very much. It's great to hear from you. And let's see here. Teresa in Augusta, Georgia. Hey, Teresa, thanks for watching us on YouTube. What's on your mind? Hey, I want to say I am so glad to hear someone that has a platform say that the Republican legislatures and all the states that are changing their voting laws, that they are actually dangling the water, the food, and uh, drop boxes and stuff like that, which are important. But the basis of these laws are to take your mind and your eye off of the fact that they can actually go in and change the votes if they don't like yep. your votes. And I am yep. so glad there. So glad. Yep. Yeah, it needs to be said a whole lot more, Teresa. You're absolutely right. Yeah, I listen to the news on other channels, on cable channels. They basically always carrying on about, oh, you can't get people water. But to me, the whole thing is I saw right through it. They do it all the yep. time. And I don't know why people yep. don't see it. They oh, it's the old magic trick. Johnny Gold. You know, yep. Yep. Here, Watch my right hand while my left hand is picking your pocket. Yep. Yeah. I'm totally with you. I'm totally with you. Teresa, thank thanks. you. And thanks for the acknowledgement. I do appreciate it. Do you have thoughts on how to best get that message out? Because I've been banging my head on this wall for a long, long time. And occasionally it, I see it you know, more often on MSNBC than CNN. But it's only maybe once or twice a day somebody will kind of mention it in passing. And it seems to me yeah, like this is really the do. biggest issue. I really don't have any ideas because that's basically why I'm talking to you now is that we have to stop looking at what just jumps at us right away. We have to concentrate on what's at the bottom of the pile that they don't want you to see. That's right. And, you know, as far as corporate media and as far as, you know, right-wing platforms, they're all about, you know, smoking mirrors. And yep. unfortunately, yep. a lot of Americans are lazy and they fall for it. They won't research on yeah. their own. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And then you've also got, you know, news producers and news talent who are looking for, you know, the the easy story, the easily explained story. It's harder to explain how election officials determine what's a legitimate vote and ballot and which one, you know, what's not. You know, it's more difficult to explain that there's this whole infrastructure of people, you know, and many of them volunteers, actually. But there's also professionals and people who work for the states who are nonpartisan and they're engaged in the election process. And and I don't even do 
do a good job of summarizing it because you can't just boil it down to a sentence or two or you or you, if you do it it's not sexy like oh you can't have a slice of pizza oh my god you know so yeah Teresa thank you so much for uh, for the affirmation thank you. and the conversation great talking with you thank you look look forward to uh, to talking to you again in the future Special thanks to Louise Hartman, Sean Taylor, Nate Atwell, Jamie Holly, Joyce the Hammer, Nance, Nigel Peacock, Sue Nethercutt, Patrick White, Gerilyn Halbert, Ron Hartenbaum, Chase Sprost, Nicholas Miller, Pat Sweeney, Jabbermocky, and Jay LeBlanc, all the folks who help make this show work for you. And thank you for helping, you know, helping keep us going. Be good to yourself and those around you. Get out there, get active, tag, you're it. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com.